Welcome to the Pastor Nick Santo Podcast, a podcast designed to help you live closer to Jesus. We hope that God uses it to encourage and empower you in His plan for your life. Now let's get into today's content. We're in Luke chapter 11. We're in our our fourth week of a message series that I've called Tools, um, looking at things that God uses in our lives in order to do his will, to shape us, to use us, to prepare us, and to bless us, uh, and things sometimes that we don't understand, things that come into our lives, and we're, we say, why God? And, uh, and we find silence, you know, dust, what are those things called? Balls that go across, and, and silence from heaven. But the word of God reveals to us uh, many of the things that God uses. And so tonight I want to talk to you about how our mistakes are a tool in God's hand to get us where he wants us to be. And so uh, if you would look at with me at a passage of scripture in Luke chapter 11, it's not a long passage, um, but it's extremely insightful. It's Luke chapter 11. It begins in verse 29, and it says this. It says that when the people were gathered thick together, that is, the crowds and multitudes uh, were pressing upon Jesus as they're hearing about him and about his message and upon about his works it says that they pressed thick together and he began to say to them this is an evil generation now if you're trying to build a crowd you might not want to start that way (laughs) unless you're the son of god he said that this is an evil generation why because they seek a sign because they're looking for miracles jesus seeing through uh, the motives behind some of the people that were pressing thick upon him um, that they weren't there because they were interested in the things of God as much as they were in seeing something supernatural. This is uh, the, the equivalent of YouTube in the days of Jesus. They couldn't just go on and watch crazy things happening. So when they heard about something spectacular, uh, they, they would make it a point to get there. And so they come. It says, Jesus says, this is an evil generation, for they seek a sign. And there shall no sign be given it except for the sign of Jonah the prophet. And so relatively early in Jesus' ministry is this time, and he's being evaluated. People are uh, assessing, they're making decisions as to whether or not they want to put their faith in him, if they want to give credence or heed to his message, if they're going to allow what he is bringing into their life to have an effect upon their life. And so they're evaluating this. Now, there's two different types of people that evaluate Jesus. There's people that, and some of them, have everything to gain. That if this is the Savior, then this can be nothing but beneficial to my life. And and so they're coming with a spirit of hope. They're hoping that it is. But there's another group of people, and they have something to lose if Jesus is the Messiah because they know that there's things in their life that if Jesus is true, that those things are going to change, and they're evaluating more from a standpoint of hoping that he's not, rather than of hoping that he is. And it's to those people that Jesus is speaking now when he says that, that you're seeking after a sign. That is, that you're looking for a supernatural manifestation that you can see with your eyes that will serve for you as some proof that I'm valid or that I'm worthy or that you should listen to the things that I'm saying. And what Jesus says to this group of people is that no sign shall be given to it. 
You're not going to get what it, what it is that you came for. You want to see loaves and fishes. You want to see maybe the dead raised. You want to see, uh, you know, some supernatural thing. You're not going to get that. But you are going to get one thing. There is a sign that you're going to get, but it's not the kind of sign that you're looking for. And then he tells him what it is. He says, it's the sign of the prophet Jonah. And then he goes on to say in verse 30, for as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the son of man be to this generation. Now, Jonah was a sign to another evil generation several hundred years prior to the coming of Christ. Jonah was an Israelite prophet who was sent to the evil Gentile empire of Assyria to a group of people that were known as the Ninevites, but God wanted to extend grace to an evil generation in the days of Noah. And so he sent Jonah, the prophet, with the message of grace and repentance to the Ninevites because God wanted to have mercy upon them. And what Jesus says is that just like Jonah was sent to the Ninevites, an evil generation, to extend grace, so also the Son of Man, myself, I am sent to this evil generation, like Jonah was, for the purpose of extending grace. That's the motivation behind it. So, uh, so Jonah was a sign. The Son of Man is a sign. Now, what is a sign? A sign, or it's interchanged with a miracle, you know, because those things are an ensign, those things are a beacon, it's a sign, and what it declares is it declares look, listen, heed, it's a sign of warning, of direction, or of restriction, and we all understand signs, if you're driving down the highway, and we look at signs, those signs are intended to impart some kind of information to us, sometimes it's direction, sometimes it's warning, sometimes it's just Plain information, take it or leave it, but signs serve a purpose. They're pointing to something. And what Jesus is saying is that Jonah was a sign and that I also am a sign to this generation. And then he gives two uh, words of condemnation to the people that he's speaking about. Um, and, and, And he talks about two different groups of people. Notice in verse 31, he says that the queen of the south speaking of the queen of Sheba, reaching back into the days of Solomon, shall rise up in the judgment with the men of this generation, and she will condemn them, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, a greater Solomon, or greater than Solomon is here, speaking of himself. And then the second group, verse 32, the men of Nineveh shall rise up in the judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. Now, here's the significance behind those two groups of people, is that both of them, the Queen of Sheba, who was a very wealthy, powerful woman, probably in the southernmost regions of Africa, who came up in the days of Solomon because she heard about his wisdom and his fame, and she wanted to know where that wisdom came from, and she wanted to seek the God that imparted such wisdom unto men. That woman had something to lose 
if the God of Solomon was real. She was not coming from the, the position of having everything to gain. She was coming from the position of she had something to lose. And she didn't get a miracle. She just simply heard about the fame of Solomon. And she traveled probably a couple thousand miles. In those days, they didn't have Uber or Lyft or Greyhound buses. So God knows only how she got there, but she came because to her, if there's a God that can do what I'm hearing, then I want to know about it. And then the other group was the men of Nineveh, and they also had something to lose. What they had to lose was their power. They were the most powerful, brutal, unstoppable military force in their day, and they had everything to lose, and the only sign they got was Jonah And yet his message was enough for them to turn around. And so what Jesus is saying is that the queen of Sheba and the men of Nineveh are actually greater than this generation of Jews, Israelite priests and pastors and prophets. They're better than them because though they didn't get a miracle or a sign, they believed when they heard the preaching of people. And so Jesus says they will condemn this generation because of it accordingly. The sign that was given to them was enough. And so tonight I want to talk to you in this thing about this whole idea of the prophet Jonah being a sign and what that means in terms of our lives and how God is using our lives. And so the title of the message tonight is what's your sign? And how your mistakes become your message. That's the the question that's before you and I tonight is what's your sign? Now, I don't know if any of you in here tonight, and this is just pure sarcasm if you can't feel it already, have ever made a mistake in your life. Anybody in here ever made a mistake before? (laughs) I know. I see a couple hands. One or two of you uh, and myself. You know, I know in my life, you can put your hands down now. I know in my life... I have made many, 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 many mistakes. I have made mistakes uh, that, that have cost me money. I have made mistakes that have cost me time. I've made mistakes that have cost me relationships, uh, mistakes that have cost my reputation. I've made mistakes that have cost me jobs before. And there's all kinds of mistakes. I've made mistakes with things that I've said. I've made mistakes with uh, letting my guard down in situations where my, my guard needed to be up and I've lived to regret it. I've made mistakes in the way that I've raised my kids, things that I've said in front of my kids, things that I've done in front of my kids that I thought were harmless, but I've lived to see that, ooh, that was a mistake. That was a big problem. Now, most mistakes, they come, they happen, they hurt, we pay the price for it, and then we kind of move on. They pass on, and hopefully we learn from them. Hopefully everyone in here tonight has learned that if you put your email address in that field, hoping to get a free gift or some advantage, that's not a good idea. That's a mistake. You know, if, if you purchase a timeshare, <laughs> do I need to say any more? You know, there's certain things that are mistakes, you know. But, but there are a handful of mistakes that I have made, that you have made, or that you have yet to make, that are much more costly than just a common error. And sometimes there are mistakes that we get blindsided by. Things that we, decisions we have made that we thought we were making a calculated choice. 
and we underestimated the consequences should things not go right, and, and we have lived to look on the other side, and it is not a good deal, good, not a good thing. Some examples uh, would be a curiosity that turns into an addiction. Uh, another uh, example might be when you say, I do, a little bit too quickly, contrary to the advice of the people who love you that are around you that say maybe you should put the brakes on a little bit and slow down on this, but you went forward because you wanted to. Uh, Maybe um, you responded to a dare. I read about a a guy recently, maybe you saw it, he was hanging out with his friends, he was 18 years old, they were chilling out uh, late on a Friday night, and a slug was crawling across the table, and his friends dared him to eat the slug. And not wanting to lose face to show that he wasn't courageous, he ate the slug. Two days later, he went into a a wakeful coma, uh, never came out of it, and two years later, he died. You know, sometimes a mistake can be costly. Sometimes a a big mistake. You accept a friend request on Facebook or reconnect with someone uh, that, 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 that that connection was broken off for good reason a long time ago. And what you thought was just an innocent thing turned into a nightmare. And it happens in so many different ways. And I would make the premise to you tonight that there is probably not among us a single person under or over the age of 30 that doesn't have at least one major mistake laid to our record. And by major mistake, I mean that you would trade an appendage to have it back. That, you, that it would be worth it for you to say, okay, my left arm, I would give it up if I could go back and I could relive that day or that moment or that hour when I made that mistake. If you're over the age of 50 in here, you might be able to count it on two hands. You know, the number of mistakes that if you could get it back, I see heads nodding, that if you could get it back, you would trade something very significant for it. Now, the bad news about the mistakes that we make, and I'm talking about the big ones, is that we have to live with the consequences. Once something is going and there are ripples in the water, those ripples are going to flow. And we're going to live with the consequences of that mistake. And sometimes that can be extremely painful. That's the bad news. The good news is that we get to also live with the benefits. We don't just deal with the consequences, but we also get the blessing of the benefits that come with our errors. Now, you say, well, what in the world would those be? Well, number one is that usually it's the mistakes that we make in our life that ultimately lead us into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Because, first of all, living with the guilt of knowing some of the things that we've done and some of the wreckage that we've caused brings us to the place where we need the forgiveness of a Savior so that our guilt can be removed from us. The the second reason is because we need a shepherd. We realize if I'm capable of making that kind of a mess blindsidingly, then I need someone that can see beyond the spectrum of my limited vision. I need someone in my life that can guide and direct me. And so our mistakes lead us to a saving knowledge of Christ. The other thing that our mistakes do is that once we're in Christ, our mistakes speak to us of a living hope that our mistakes can actually be leveraged to our advantage. That God, when our mistakes are made, Though we're living with the consequences, he can take those things and like a judo master, because that's what, I I don't know how to do it, but 
I know Pastor Mike, and he does. And, and the whole idea behind this whole judo thing is that when there is an opposing force coming, if someone's good at judo, they know how to use the momentum of that attack or that aggressive force and use it to their advantage. And that's what Jesus does in our lives, is that he takes our mistakes and he turns them around and he works them to our good. And thus, the benefit of our mistakes on the other side of the pain is that Jesus will leverage those things in our lives in order to serve his purpose for his glory and our joy. And then it's a win. So he turns the failure into a win. Now, in the text, the example that Jesus gives here in this interaction is that of something that took place in the life of the prophet Jonah. Now, what we know about Jonah is that he was saved, he was gifted, he was called by God, and he was used by God. He was a prophet. But he made a very, very big mistake. And his mistake, he was not the victim of something that happened to him, because sometimes our mistakes were just victims. You put the email address in, sign on the dotted line, you know, we didn't see it coming. His was different, because His mistake was something that he chose to do. He made a calculated decision. He chose, Jonah did, to embrace the fallout and the consequences of his decision rather than the discomfort that would come with obedience to God. Here's what it was. God said, Jonah, I've got something I want you to do. I want you to go to the land of Nineveh, an enemy, aggressor, forceful nation that you hate because of things they've done to your people. And I want you to extend grace towards them in my name and give them the ultimatum that if they will repent of their sins and turn to me, that I will spare judgment to come upon them. But should they not, then I'm going to bring judgment upon them. I want you to go with that message. And Jonah thought about that for just a minute. And he said, well, this is not an issue of prejudice or race or, or anything like that. This is an issue of they have killed our kids. They have taken our people as slaves. They have tortured. They are the most cruel and unreasonable and ungodly heathen people that have ever lived in the world. And God, it would be easier for me if you were to ask me to go to that group of kids in high school. You guys know that group that I'm talking about, the ones that had it all together, the ones that were on the top of the food chain, the ones that nothing ever went wrong, and they made your life a living hell. And God, if you asked me to go to them, that would be easier than asking me to go to the Ninevites. God, it would be easier for me to go to the abusive stepfather, the one that I can trace back every problem I have in my life to the interaction I had with this man or this woman. God, and you're asking me to go to them that have ruined my life and to preach grace to them and give them an opportunity to be forgiven and, for, and to be saved. Or, 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 God, you're asking me to go to the child that got my child hooked on something that took their life. And to tell them that I forgive them and that God forgives them and that God loves them and that they can be saved. And you're asking me to do something that is so incredibly difficult, I don't know if I can do it. And what Jonah decided in his heart is that he decided, I am going to rather live with the consequences of disobedience than do the thing that God is asking me to do. 
And so what he did is he made like he was going to obey, and he marched down to Tarsus, and he bought a boat ticket. And he decided, I'm going to go the opposite way. And instead of going east towards Nineveh, he went west in the opposite direction of where God had called him to do. He calculatingly disobeyed the call of God that was upon his life. Now, any action has reactions, right? And the fallout of Jonah's decision is that in his life, all hell broke loose. And that's putting it lightly. You can read the book of Jonah and see it. But the storm came, and the entire crew of the ship that he was on was endangered because of the intensity of this storm. And and Jonah's life just began to fall apart right in front of his eyes. Every piece of it fell apart right in front of him because of the mistake that he made, the decision that he made to go against the will of God. Now, why is that? The answer is because God has a will. And any time that God has a will, that means that the whole of creation is moving in the direction that God wants things to go. And when part of that creation rebels against that will, then there's discordance, not just in the life of a person, but there's discordance in the entire plan of God. Why did Jesus teach us to pray that thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven? Because there's a link between the two realms. And so when things on earth are not going according to the will of God in heaven, there's going to be a problem there. And if you don't know God you can misinterpret the hell that's breaking loose in your life because of your mistake or your rebellion or your disobedience, and you can think, oh, this is God just getting me. My life is falling apart because God is angry because I did something wrong. God hates me, and God is using his divine powers now to say, oh, you don't want to do what I asked you to do. Let me show you what I can do in your life. And and God just begins to knock things down. It's like, oh, I don't get my way. I'm going to wreck the place. And if you don't know God, you can begin to think that that's what's going on. That God is just, he's frustrating you. He's, he, you don't obey me? I'm, I'm, no, 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 that's not what's going on here. See, all hell breaks loose in our life when we go the opposite way because God loves us enough to know that if he has something that he wants us to do, then he knows that that's the place that we need to be for his glory and our joy. And because God is more concerned about having us in the right place with him and within ourselves, he will not allow us to go in the opposite direction and just live at peace with things. He will purposefully allow things to stir up in our lives because he wants to move us in the direction that he knows that we will want to go if we will just trust him and obey. I want to read you a passage of scripture. It's from Lamentations chapter 3 so that you understand because we've all felt that. God's against me. God's trying to get me. Listen to what God says. In verse 31 of chapter 3, it says, For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, yet will he have compassion according to the multitude of his mercies. For he does not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. To crush under his feet all the prisoners. God's not going around going, you're not going to do my will. Watch this. Boom. You're not going to do my will. Oh, let me get my golf club for you. You know, that's not the heart of God at all. He says in verse 35, to turn aside the right of a man before the face of the most high or to subvert a man in his cause, the Lord approves not. In other words, not the heart of God to just cause frustration in our lives because he's not happy. 
No, if God's not happy, it's because he knows we're headed towards something that's destructive for our lives. And so he's going to go through every means necessary to correct the course. And thus, Jonah's life became a living hell because of his mistake, the consequences of going in the wrong direction, the opposite direction of the thing that God had called him uh, to do. And so all of this happens. God's trying to rescue him. And here's the consequence. Long story short, Jonah realizes that the reason for the storm is because of his rebellion. He tells everyone else on the ship, he says, look, guys, I know that you think this is bigger than me, but this is my fault. I'm the one that caused all this trouble. Don't trouble yourselves anymore. Do yourselves a favor. Throw me in the water. I don't really want to live anyway with, the, with this on me. Just throw me in the water and you'll all be good. And the guys were like, ah, nah, we're not going to do that. You know, they were actually better than Jonah. And so they throw off everything that has value. They unload the ship. And then the storm gets more intense. Jonah goes, really, you guys, you got to throw me in. And they go, eh, all right, it's us versus you. They toss Jonah into the water at this point. And what happens, once Jonah is in the water, Jonah As a consequence of his own decision, listen carefully, he gets swallowed up by something that's bigger than he is. That's an understatement. If you know the story, Jonah got swallowed by what? That's right, a big bag of blubber. Swallowed Jonah up. That's not in the Sunday school song, (laughs) but that's exactly what happened. He got swallowed up by something that was bigger than he was. I remember uh, vividly a memory. I grew up um, about an hour from Niagara Falls, and we would frequent there from time to time. And I remember one time as a child standing on the, um, the edge of the Niagara River downstream from the falls. And it's just such a majestic place, and, and the water just is so powerful. It just strikes fear in you just to see it moving that quick. But on the downside of the falls, there's an area um, where the river looks uh, relatively calm. It almost looks like you could go into it, but the river takes like a sharp right-hand turn at a certain point. And right at the point where the river makes that turn, there's a whirlpool. And you can actually see it. It looks like water draining in a bathtub. And and I remember standing watching this whirlpool, and there was a balloon that that a child uh, or something had dropped, and there was a balloon that was just going around in this whirlpool. And it looked relatively calm, but yet it was, it was moving. It was going around in circles, and it was moving, creeping ever towards the center. And I remember, I don't remember who it was. It was my mom or my dad or someone that we were with said, if you got stuck in those waters, you're done. If you were in that whirlpool, you're done. You're not getting out of it. The force and the strength of that current is beyond anything that you and your human strength can handle, and it's only a matter of time, around and around. Once you hit the middle, you're going under, and you're not coming back up. And that there was a snapshot of that that was, that was implanted in my mind that has served me throughout the rest of my life because I, I forever have that picture that it is possible for a human being to get into a place where they're in a whirlpool just waiting to be swallowed up by something that's more powerful than they are, that should they be consumed in it, it's going to take their life. And that is exactly what happened to Jonah. His mistake that he thought he could control caused him to get swallowed up by something that was bigger than he is. And I don't know if there's anyone in here that can relate to what that's like. I gave myself to something thinking I could control it, and it ended up swallowing me, and I can no longer control the consequences of it. Jonah's mistake 
caused him to be swallowed up by something that should have killed him. It should have killed him. And if Jonah didn't know God, it would have. You could roll credits. The book of Jonah would finish or it would be negated from scripture. It wouldn't be there at all. And I want you to just put yourselves in Jonah's shoes for a minute because Jonah didn't know the story. I mean, what's Jonah thinking here as he's just tossed, you know, and and he's thinking, this is horrible. Here I'm in the ocean. I'm in the middle of this storm. I don't know where I am. It's probably the middle of the night. I can't see anything. And he thinks, this is bad. This is real bad. And then he thinks, God. And then as soon as he maybe even turns his attention, he sees, you know, he sees this mouth just kind of arise. And he's like, oh, this is bad. <laughs> you know, I really, really got God upset. God is ticked. You know, not, I don't just drown in the sea. He's going to have me eaten by a fish. <laughs> you know, this is awful. This is horrible. And he thinks that his life is over. Here's Jonah. He's in a situation in his life where he thinks he's done. He's waiting to die, and he's thinking of his life that I am just a statistic. There is no way that I am getting out of this. There's no way that there's redemption from this. There's no way that there's hope for this. On the other side of this, I am completely finished. He's living in a season of mourning and regret over the decisions that he made within his life. I don't know if you've ever lived in a season like that. I know that I have. And he knows that he deserves it, that he deserves everything that he's going through, that God knew his heart when he made that decision, though he could have rationalized it in the sight of men, he knew that God knew why he did it. He was guilty. He knew that what was going on, everything looked like the wrath of God. I'm being punished for my sins, and I am the disqualified one who put my hand to the plow, And then I look to the other way, and I am now disqualified from the service of God, and my life is completely over. But here's the reality, is that Jonah didn't die. That mistake wasn't the end of his life. And here's the reality for the child of God, is that if you believe in him, and that if... If you belong to him, if you're still breathing, then God's not done in your life. Noah did not die. Here's the outcome, as it was for Jonah, is that what should have killed him, what should have been a blubbery burial, turned into a blubbery boat. And what should have killed him ended up bringing him exactly where he needed to be. I think of Joseph, who probably for years kicked himself over his mistake. Why did I tell my brothers the dream? Why couldn't I just keep my mouth shut? Why did I do that? If it wasn't for for that, I wouldn't be in this prison. I wouldn't be in these shackles. I wouldn't be in this place. I wouldn't be bald and my eyebrows shaved and wearing Egyptian clothes. Why couldn't I keep my mouth shut? Simple mistake. But yet it was Joseph's mistake that led him to the very fulfillment of the thing that God had called him to in the very beginning, in the first place. I think of Samson's parents. They didn't do a very good job raising him. They kept the bare minimum of what God had required of him, but they did nothing to instruct him about what was right and wrong, and they let Samson walk all over them. And when Samson came to them grown up and he said, hey, I found a Philistine girl. She's filled with tattoos. She's got gauges, and man, she's hot, and I want want you to get her for me. 
They looked at him and, and, and they had no power at all. There was nothing in their life. They, they looked at him and they said, oh, Samson, you know, that's great. I'm glad you're, you know, kind of happy. But isn't there maybe, maybe a nice Jewish girl that you, and he's like, nope, that's the one I want. Get her for me. And I'm sure that Samson's parents are thinking, what did we do? Who did we raise? We couldn't have done it any worse. We screwed everything up. But yet the next verse, Judges chapter 14, verse 4, it says this. It says, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord because he sought an occasion against the Philistines for at that time the Philistines had dominion over his... See, their mistake brought them exactly to the place where God wanted them to be. He turned it around for their good. I think of David when he was on his high horse and the women of Israel were singing his praises, saying, David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. David, David, he said, yeah, well, it's true. But then for a decade plus, he's thinking to himself, why? What was I thinking? Now I don't even know if I'm going to live. I'm going to eat my next meal. This guy's chasing me. He hates me. Why couldn't I just have a little bit of humility? Little bit of humility. Little bit. He had no idea that the mistake that he regretted so much was the very thing that was bringing him to where he needed to be in order to serve the purpose that God had for his life. And it was the same with Jonah, is that the thing that should have killed him, the consequence of his mistake, ended up being a blubbery uber that brought him right to the very place that he needed to be. What an amazing thing. Not only did it bring him where he needed to be, but it actually became the very thing that made him successful. Did you catch what Jesus said about Jonah in verse 30? What did he say? He said, as Jonah was a sign. Did you see that? Jonah was a sign. What would you think if you were standing on the shore of a local beach and all of a sudden a whale appears? You see the water shoot out the blowhole, you know? And then all of a sudden he keeps getting closer and you see his back and he becomes lodged between the sand. The tide rolls out and you have a beached whale right in your presence. You go, whoa, look at this thing, and let me get a selfie and take a picture, you know, see. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you see the whales go, and like, bounce a little bit. And you hear something, you're like, what's he doing, what's it? And then all of a sudden, you, and and you watch, and his, his mouth opens, and he belches out just a glob of water and seaweed and you go oh and orca and fish and and the whole thing you're like whoa and you get your thing and you 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 get it going you're like i'm this is awesome this is viral this is what i've been waiting for and then it happens again and you see the head of a man and then he comes out and the guy this man comes out he rolls out of the mouth of of a whale just rolls out onto the sand and then you're thinking oh god what happened to him you know what a and then you see the man and he goes <coughs> and he sits up and he goes maybe throws up that's horrible that's disgusting and then he looks around and he goes where am I and they say Nineveh <coughs> and he goes alright well I'm here it's like, I'm at work, I might as well work, right? He says, look, guys, God sent me here, and he has a message for you. He's seen your ways, you got 40 days, repent, or you're done. 
All right, did my job there? God, good. And he walks off. And the men of Nineveh go, this dude just came out of the mouth of a whale. All right? Listen, when someone comes out of the mouth of a whale, all right, that means that not only were they swallowed, but they were preserved without air for as long as they were in that whale. They, they were preserved. They were kept alive. This is miraculous, and they saw it. There was a sign. They saw it. He came out of the mouth of a whale, and it did something inside of them. They said, we need to listen to what this guy has to say because he just came out of the mouth of a whale. And Jonah's mistake became the authority that was necessary for the people to heed his message. His mistake became his microphone. They heard him because of what he was coming out of. He came out of something that should have killed him. He came through something that would take the life of someone else. He survived on the other side of extreme consequences. And so we're going to listen to what he has to say. It became the very platform for the message. Now, what if that didn't happen? What if Jonah had obeyed God, bought a ticket, and sailed to Nineveh? What would he have had to do to get them to listen to him? Hey, guys, I'm a Jewish prophet. I know you hate us and you're killing our people. But I'm here with a message of grace, and so I want to launch a podcast. I want to get a church launch team together. I want to try to build some relationship bridges with you and see if we can find common ground somewhere so I can share the gospel with you. I don't know if it would have been as effective. See, what God did is God took the mistake that Jonah made and the consequences of that mistake to do something in his life that would get the attention of the people that he was called to preach to so that all the legwork was done and all he had to do was give the message. And they said, man, if there's a God who loves us enough to swallow a man with a whale, spit him out on our shore and preach to us a message of God's mercy and grace, then we better think about what we're doing here. And they listened to the message, they repented of their sins, and the grace of God was extended to a nation. They lived for another hundred years and there was a revival in Nineveh because of it. His mistake became his microphone. God used it. Now, Jesus said that Jonah as a sign was a prefiguring or a pre-shadowing of a greater sign. He said, just as Jonah was a sign unto the Ninevites, so also will the Son of Man be to this generation. In other words, just like what Jonah went through that should have killed him, but it didn't, and that became a sign, so also the same thing will be true of the Son of Man, the greater than Jonah. What Jesus would go through and yet live through was to be the sign that his message should be heeded. What did Jesus go through? Jesus went to a cross where he endured the wrath of God for every sin that every human has ever committed from the time of Adam all the way through until the very end. The wrath of God was put upon him even though he was innocent and he endured all of it, separation from the glory of the Father. The chastisement and the beating, the pressure that caused him to sweat through his blood. The cruelty of the Romans as they would bring the flagellum down upon his back and pierce his hands and his feet with the nails and hang him there upon the cross. The blood dripping down his face from the crown of thorns that was pressed into his skull. And as he would suffocate and die upon that cross and be put into a grave 
He went through something that no one ever would go through and that no one else could go through. And yet it didn't kill him. Because three days later, Jesus Christ, not from the blubbery belly of a well, but from the grave, Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And if a man can endure what he endured for the price that he paid and what it cost him and what it represented, and then he can rise and emerge from a tomb and rise in glory, then his message ought to be heeded. That's what Jesus is saying when he says that no sign will be given to it except for that sign because he is the greater sign. Now, what is the message that Jesus brings on the other side? Hey, hey if someone rises from the dead, we need to listen to that man. If someone comes out the mouth of a whale, we would listen to that man. What if someone comes out of the grave? They rise from the dead coming through that. They ought to be listened to. You say, okay, you got my attention. What's the message? The message is not 40 days of repent. The message is this, that God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son for your sake, taking your sin upon himself, that if you would put your faith in him, not give your works to him, not buy into his allegiance or join his religion, but if you would just simply put your trust in what he did for you on the cross, by faith believing that his forgiveness will be extended and your sins will be removed and put upon him, if you can bring yourself to believe that, then the gift of God is that you will never perish, but you'll be given eternal life. That's a greater message even than what Jonah extended to the Ninevites. Is that God is going to take your sin, give you his righteousness, and you're going to live forever. You're going to have eternal life. The message goes on from there. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 14. Listen to what Paul says concerning this. He says, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. That the resurrection power of Jesus that was displayed is going to also be given to you. And here's what that means. What does it mean that resurrection power, the same resurrection that Jesus experienced is also going to be extended to us? It means this. It means that he is going to resurrect every portion of your life and he is going to turn it around and work it to your good there is going to be abundant life in place of everything in your life that was dead including the things that are the consequences of your mistakes paul elaborates on this in romans chapter 8 listen to the language that he uses there he says in chapter 8 verse 30 31 he says what shall we say then to these things that if god is for us then who can be against us for he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifies. Who is he that condemns? It's Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. No, verse 37, in all these things, 
We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And what that means is that when God rescues and redeems your life, not only does he purchase you for eternity, but he agrees to take every element of your life down to the minute details of the decisions that you've made and to turn those around for your glory and rather have you than have you be defeated by the things you become more than a conqueror over those things that's the resurrection of power jesus is the sign now listen sometimes people ask the question And they'll say, why is it that we don't see miracles today like they did maybe in the early church or like things that we read about in the Bible? Why is it that we don't see signs and miracles today? Listen, the answer is the same that Jesus gave to the people that he was speaking to in that day. He said that there shall no sign be given to this generation except one, and that is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now listen, the sign of the prophet Jonah Not only Jesus rising from the dead, but the sign of the prophet Jonah is also, listen, you. You are the sign of the prophet Jonah. Because when Jesus resurrects your life and he begins to turn the things around that you thought were going to kill you and destroy you, and he begins to glorify his name and give you life on the other side of the things that you would give your left arm to do over, It causes people to look into your life and say, what is it about you that made you survive through something that should have killed any other person? You lived through it, and yet you didn't. You become the sign. Your poor choices that led to the hell that you went through, the broken marriage, the broken heart, that you endured all the decisions that you made, maybe even the pile of wreckage that's behind you, and then the consequences that came from it that would have killed anyone else. And yet when God redeems and restores your life and turns it around and there's beauty for ashes and there's joy in the place of mourning and there's abundant life in spite of what I did before, you become a sign to the unbelieving world that there is a God. In the process of all the hell, you learn a couple things, don't you? (laughs) Our mistakes teach us things, don't they? We learn to put God first in our life because when we put something else first, usually the outcome isn't good. We learn what's important in life, maybe in a relationship or in a marriage, what really matters. Things that we thought were important in a relationship maybe aren't so much, and we learn not in our mind but in our heart what priorities need to be. We learn how to get set free from the things that held us. We learn grace in our lives. You know, one of the things that Jonah learned in this whole process, it was kind of like a side lesson. It was an elective that God wanted him to go through. There was another thing that happened in in Jonah's life, and that was that after Jonah delivered the message, the whale didn't swing back around to pick Jonah up. He kind of had to stay there. There was no way for him to get anywhere. He didn't have any money. He didn't have a job. He had nothing. He was just stuck there with the Ninevites. And he had a little bit of a dilemma because what God wanted from Jonah at that point is he wanted Jonah to become a Ninevite. So you can't just win people to Christ and leave. You win people and then now you've got to do something with it, right? And so he's there, but he's struggling with this thing inside because he absolutely hated the Ninevites. And so he has this kind of interaction with God where 
you know, God, he's upset. He's mad that God changed the Ninevites. He's angry that he's there. He doesn't want to be there. He's, he's kicking against this whole thing. And God comes to Jonah and he talks to him. And he says, Jonah, I want to talk to you for a minute. Jonah says, yeah, what is it? And he goes, Jonah, you really hate these people, don't you? He goes, yeah, I hate them. Why do you hate them? Oh, I hate them because they killed our kids and they ravaged our women and they're cruel and they're, they're just doing, you know, God said, well, Jonah, that's interesting. You're kind of angry right now. He said, uh, you know, there's 180,000 kids in Nineveh that aren't old enough to know their right hand from their left. Would you have me destroy them too? You, you want me to do the same thing to them that they did to you? Is that, is, is that what, what? I don't want to talk about it. See, what God was showing Jonah is that he was just as guilty in his heart as the Ninevites were in their actions. And then in God's eyes, that was completely equal. And what God was trying to win in Jonah was the persuasion that he was no better than the people that he hated. And do you know that's one of the things that God teaches us in our life as we learn from our mistakes? He teaches us that we're no better than anybody else. We're no better than the people that burned us. We're no better than the worst sinner that exists in the world that gets tangled up in things. We would do the same thing if we were in their position. And what happens when God begins to reveal that in your heart is that you can begin to love people that are sinful. Do you know that you can't love someone and think you're better than them at the same time? It's impossible. And part of the grace of God using our mistakes in our life is that he's bringing us to the place where we don't look at anybody and say that I'm better than that person. But in order for us to get to that place, sometimes we have to embrace the mistakes that we made and own them or else we never can. I had a, a friend. I have so much more I want to say, but I'm going to close with this. I, have, I had a friend. He was kind of a friend. He, is, he was a friend. I worked with him. This guy, his name was Shane. And he had some serious issues. Um, he, was, he was just like, he was like Zeus. You ever seen the wrestler Zeus? He looked like him. He was a big black guy. He was a bouncer by night, but he worked construction by day. And this guy slept never. I think he slept 20 minutes in a 24-hour period of time, but yet he always was, was ready to go. You know, he was the nicest guy I've ever met unless you got in a fight with him. And then he would just destroy. Like he was just, I don't, you, know, you know people like that. It just doesn't even make sense. But there's something about Shane is that he had this weird Achilles weakness. And that is that when he was a teenager, a young teenager, he was shot in the eyebrow with a BB gun. And the BB got lodged in, under his skin behind his eyebrow. And it's still there to this day. And so when you see Shane, he's shaved completely bald, you know, this whole thing. He's got a little lump over his eyebrow, and it's a BB, and you could touch it. He's like, touch it, feel it. And I, I did it. It's actually, there's a BB. You can move it around under his skin. It's still there from when he was a kid. But, but he says that if I get punched there, if I get in a fight and I get punched there, I lose the upper hand because there's something that happens that my whole head just goes into colors and I just see a kaleidoscope and I get totally disoriented when this whole thing, because I have this BB that's there in my head. And I said to him, I go, why don't you have it taken out? You know, it doesn't seem like it's that hard of a procedure. I mean, it's right there. And you're just like, I don't know. I don't have time or whatever, you know, whatever the case may be. But, but what I realize, okay, what I realize is this, is that all of us have made mistakes. 
All of us have done things that we regret. All of us have things that we have hidden under our skin. There's things that unless we tell someone about it, they don't even know that it's there. But it's a weakness that's in our life. And as long as that weakness is there, every time it gets tapped, and, and Satan knows how to do it. He just boom, 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 all day long. So it's like, God wants to use you. And you go, boom, I got a divorce. I can't be used. God has a great and wonderful plan for your life. I have a secret drinking problem. Boom, oh, and I, I can't be used. God, God, God wants to restore and redeem. You say, I struggle with things with my eyes, and I can't get victory over it. Boom, boom, I'm totally disoriented. And the whole time, what God wants to do is say, listen, your mistakes aren't the thing that's going to define your life. Those are the things that are going to prepare your path. I'm doing something through those errors that's going to make you usable and make your words potable, powerful for the people that you're going to speak to. I'm going to do things in your heart that's going to show people my grace in their lives and what I'm willing to do for them, but I'm going to do it through your weakness. But as long as this BB is under my skin, I I can't own it. I can't let anybody know about it. I'm just going to hide it. It's not real in my life. As long as that's there, it never can happen. It's just this hidden thing. It can't be until we own the things that we've done, own our errors, that God then can begin to use them in our lives. I was having a conversation with one of the brothers. He's sitting right over here this morning. And he, he was, we were talking about some of these things. And he said to me, you know, he said, listen, he said, I hope this is okay that I'm sharing this. I know that it is. He, <laughs> I'm saying it now, you know, so it doesn't matter. But, but he was told, he was told by someone, listen, you don't need to tell that you were a drug addict every time you share your faith. That's what they said to him. You don't need to tell that you say that you were a drug, drug addict every time you share your faith. And he goes, yes, I do. Yes, I do, because that's what he saved me from. It's what should have killed me, but it didn't. Jesus brought me through it. He got me out of it, and that becomes the platform of my message, is that if he can do this for me, then what is he willing to do for you? Our mistakes don't define our present. They adorn our future. They don't defeat our purpose. They develop our path, and they don't disqualify our place They display his grace. And the resurrection of Jesus sends two messages. The greater than Jonah, who preaches, though he cannot be seen, is that there is nothing, there is nothing that you have done, nothing that you're involved in right now, that he cannot and will not forgive you of and save you in spite of what you are, what you've done, and all of the ripple effects of it. The resurrection of Jesus declares that you can be forgiven of every sin. And the second thing that the resurrection of Jesus declares in your life and in mine is that there is no error that we have made even beyond our salvation that he cannot now turn around and use as the platform of what will make us effective in our future. And the sin of the generation that Jesus was talking to was their refusal to heed the message of grace that God was extending to them in the person of Christ and, for some, the refusal to stand up on the other side of a mistake and allow God to use it in someone else's life to bring him glory, you freedom, and joy. 
As we close the service tonight, here's the message that Jesus sent me to tell you. Is that you're not disqualified because of the things that you've done, maybe even after you're saved. But those things that you think are the biggest mistake of your life are going to bring you exactly to the place that God wants you to be. And he's going to then use those things in your life to give authority to the message or the mission that he has specifically for you. Your part is to let him do it. Okay, God, take the BB out from behind my eye. I receive your grace and your forgiveness, and I don't want to sit when you say to stand. I don't want to go left when you say to go right. I want to let you use my life, flaws and all. And we all have flaws. There's not one of us that doesn't. I invite you tonight, in Jesus' name, if you're one who thinks that you've been disqualified, if you think that God has put you on the shelf, that you're done and you're just waiting to die, that your life has become a statistic, I am imploring you to not believe that. But to look to the God who makes you more than a conqueror in spite of all that's done and to say, God, here I am, send me. And if tonight you don't know Jesus Christ personally and you've never come in to a relationship with God in his grace, not his law, not his works, not religion, but to know Jesus Christ personally as the Savior who lives inside your heart and leads your life, know that his cross and the purpose behind it was so that you could be forgiven and that you could have a relationship with him and you could live before him forever and ever and ever. Father, we thank you tonight for, for this word Thank you, Lord, as Jonah was a sign, that you have made us a sign. And so, Lord, may you take the things in our life now, and may you use us, Lord, completely, that nothing would be held back, that we would be set free, that our hearts would be redeemed, that your glory would be seen in our lives. So use us, Lord, help us. We look to you now, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for joining us for the Pastor Nick Santo podcast. To regularly receive these teachings, be sure to subscribe so you can get it automatically when it's released. If you find this material helpful, please share it and help us get the message of Jesus out to others. We also appreciate your feedback, so if you would, leave us a review in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts, or email us at pastor.nickpc at gmail.com. Until next time, may you continue to love, learn, and live the way of Jesus.